0: Hello, and welcome to Agony, Aunt and Uncle. Hello. Uh, We are on podcast. Or, if you would like to have a look at us, you can go over to the Swala Adelies on YouTube, and uh, we upload the video there. And also, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I said to Mark the other day, we never say, can you subscribe to our podcast? Because... Like, like never.
1: Can you subscribe to a podcast? I don't know. Can you do (laughs) it? I mean, you can subscribe to YouTube, but can you subscribe to a podcast? Oh, yeah. so
0: if you awesome. do enjoy our do. podcasts we really do do them just for love i mean there's no other reason we do them but it's, so it'd be nice if you subscribed and shared and so other people could join our little community here
1: oh, there you
0: go. so agony aunt and uncle what is it um if you come here every week you'll know what it is it is basically us sat at our kitchen table giving the kind of feedback that we would if a friend or if one of our daughters came and asked us um, for advice we don't come from a professional standpoint and you know we read every single one of your questions and some of them are so heartbreaking but they are beyond us and it needs you know more professional help so we really only do choose um questions problems where we've might have had a bit of an experience so we can kind of just share our experience rather than say do this do that do this hmm. we, we, we wouldn't do that we're not we're not we're not qualified to do that and in fact even therapists don't tell you what to do do they they'll often say have you noticed that with therapists when you say well what shall i do and they say i can't tell you that and you think oh christ
1: well, the weird thing is, is some therapists just don't say anything.
0: <laughs> some of them don't say anything. They just sit there, and you just have to talk. So, and if yeah, there are people, please, or it's
1: a bloody nightmare.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> anyway, okay. So, do you want to kick off?
0: No, you go first, because I've just spoken for ages.
1: Oh right, okay. Um, well, I don't have the names, if there are any, of anyone here. So I'm just going to say that everyone's anonymous. Um, a couple of years ago, my husband started to have violent rages. He would get very angry, and although he never hurt me, he would throw things against a wall and say really hurtful things. He has always suffered from depression but is a kind, gentle soul so his behaviour broke my heart and it scared me After one emotional outburst he visited our GP and was referred to a psychiatrist Uh, He was diagnosed with bipolar 2 With medication he's a lot more like himself again and our lives have returned to some kind of normal However I live in fear of the rages returning He talks about us having arguments and how we get on better now but he doesn't seem to take responsibility for his behaviour I actively avoided any confrontations when he was unwell, but he sees mm. me as complicit. I have fears for our future. Any advice would be very welcome. Mm.
0: Well, yeah, I've been thinking about you this morning. I read this earlier on the way back on the train and I was thinking. Oh, first of all, just both of our hearts go out to you. And mm. for those that don't know, Mark was diagnosed with bipolar 18 months, two years ago, is it? Mark? Two years ago, no. Um, But obviously, and as his psychiatrist told him, he'd been actually struggling and trying to manage the bipolar on his own from probably about seven, eight years old. Hmm. And I think for me, when I heard that, that really gave me, I don't know, real sympathy and has allowed me to bite my tongue many times when I felt that, Mark has been more curt, or more irritable, or more um, whatever negative than I know he even knows he's being. Like he doesn't, or, or he's struggling. You know, you'll be struggling. I can see when you're struggling because now you're on medication. You kind of have these dips, don't you? And mm. Not not very lows and very high dips, but I can see them coming, and I know that that's going to be a stressful time for you and for me but it's still going to be worse for you than it is for me because I'm not going into a depression but that doesn't mean that it's not really really difficult and and you know it's all right to acknowledge that and I hear what you're saying about the way that your husband just wants to move on it's it's really strange when Mark came out of rehab and it was like, Mark, you were very much on the pink cloud of sobriety mm. and it was like everything that I'd wanted. But it was really strange for me because I almost felt resentful. I almost felt like this anger that, oh, we're just supposed to move on and yet I've got all this stuff in me that I just feel sad about, that I feel angry about, that I feel... And yet I then felt like I was being a horrible person for even thinking that because now, you know, Mark was working so hard on his issues and his struggles and his mental health, I almost felt there was no place for me to feel anything that I was feeling. So I think that's what I'm picking up, that there may be some similarities there in what you're feeling. I didn't really understand the line about complicit.
1: No, I didn't. I,
0: I don't really know what you meant about that, so I can't really sort of, give you anything back Maybe about
1: complicit that. in any confrontations that they do have. Um, A what, that you were part
0: of the reason for his rages? Yeah. Well, what I would say to that is, who knows, we don't know what your situation is, but I don't think anyone has the right to make somebody else feeling feel frightened. And I, I'm hearing, though I could be wrong, that it sounds like you found it frightening, and now you're walking on eggshells in case that could ever happen again. And so maybe... And I do say this quite often, so please forgive me, but I do think it's quite a good tool because I think that... I was talking to my daughter about this this morning, actually. As humans, we do tend to react rather than respond. And you know you meet those people and none of us are those people are in our family that just go, oh, let me just think about that a moment before I answer you. Mark and I are very much reactors, very much. We react to everything. And I don't know whether your husband is one of those people that reacts in an immediate way to defend himself and probably doesn't really hear what you're trying to say. So, how about you write to him? It can be a text, a letter, a card, whatever. And you say, Listen, and start off with, I'm so proud of you and the way that you've worked so hard with what, and it must have been so awful for you going through what you're going through. But, and I'm over the moon that now. You know, there's some kind of regulation going on in everything of your moods. But I just wanted to say that I am carrying a bit of the residuals of what happened at our darkest time. And I really want to reach out to you and say that I feel quite fearful that those rages can come back. And I say this with no blame, but do you think we could have a conversation where you might be able to just allay those fears a bit or we have some sort of agreement that if you feel that you're going that way you could actually say to me I can feel this rising I'm going to take myself away I'm going to go for a walk I'm going to and just just try that but but I really would recommend writing it down so he's got time to process it before he reacts um because we well, everybody wants to defend themselves, don't they? I mean, it's just human nature. He'll, he, You know, he could very likely go into... Well, you know, that that time, he might have embarrassment mm. about it, he might be feeling so bad about it, and he'd want to apportion some blame to you. Take all blame out of the conversation and just try and tell him genuinely how you're feeling.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, you start your... Um, ..sort of letter, if you like, uh, talking about violent rages. And, I mean, you know... <laughs> Violence is never acceptable. Violence is never justifiable. Violence is... You can... Or oh, do you, you think you're physically you can, violent? You can... Tr-
0: sorry, can I just pause you? Because I didn't... Oh, if it's physical no, no, violence... No, no,
1: she I, says he would get oh, angry, and although he never hurt me, would oh, throw right, things okay. against me. Oh, right, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Um, you know, violence of any form is unacceptable. It's... Mm. it's and it's wrong. Um, and yet... We would be burying our head in the sand if we didn't try and understand where those feelings come from or why they're happening. Um, and I think it sounds like, obviously you say he suffered from depression. He's a kind and gentle soul. So his behaviour broke my heart and scared me. Mm. So obviously you have a, you have a knowledge of him that's much more intimate than what we could ever get a grasp of. Um, and you know that he is this kind and gentle person, and I imagine that that, in many regards, throws, a, you know, in its own way, a, a bigger spanner in the works, because if someone's lovely, but you, you're dealing with just their negative behaviour, and I'm sure Nadia would relate to that, um, that must be really challenging, it must be really challenging. Um, so he shouldn't be doing what he's doing, and it's about, well, how can we make sure that doesn't happen again? Because you talk about your fear, you talk about being scared... You'll also be scared for him, obviously, as well, because you care for him and you love him. Um, it sounds like his diagnosis and uh, the medication he's on has pulled him towards a more sort of a calmer place so that he's not having as many outbursts. I would par- partly, I would almost, you know, float out the thought that given that he's been reined back from that volatility, there may be some aspect of it being useful to I'm not suggesting couples counseling but as Nadia says you've kind of you've kind of got an opportunity here to potentially grapple with some of this stuff without the fear of of him you know flying off the handle in some way so you know as you you rightly said, you know, perhaps writing a letter to him, an email, something, uh, or talking. I mean, if, you know, he's a nice guy and he's much calmer, maybe just talking gently about it, not in an accusatory manner. Mm. I think it's really important if someone's done something wrong and it's tied up with... I mean, it's tied up with their mental health issue or potentially with the mental health issue. But I just want to say and make an important point there. I do sometimes worry... And it's very difficult for the partner of someone struggling with an acute or severe mental health issue. I do worry that sometimes, and we had this conversation the other day, I do worry that sometimes there can just be bad, not bad behaviour, but there can be behaviour that's unacceptable or disagreeable that isn't necessarily caused by whatever the mental health condition is that they're, they're going through. And it's quite hard to kind of you know disentangle all of that which is why i think given that the diagnosis and the medication has calmed him down it would suggest to me that it is attached to that in some way so i i, w- I would say that there does need to be some sort of discussion about how you can make sure this doesn't happen again um, i'm presuming your fears for the future are how you can be in a more sort of calmer uh, sort of you know more fluid less less volatile sort of You know, perspective to each other. Something that you said at the beginning there, Nads, which I I, I sometimes wonder about, certainly been wondering about it for the last week is you say, obviously when you were talking about my sort of dips or what have you, and the dips that still come with medication, they're nowhere near as acute, but they're there Um, sometimes they're not dips because of my mental health condition, they're dips because I feel fucking depressed about something that day, do you know what I mean? And so there's that difficult dividing line between just feeling something and feeling something because of something, I don't know. So that's difficult. But I do worry sometimes that there's a sort of not tyranny, but there is in this modern world a sort of tyranny of mental health, where whoever it's perceived that whoever is struggling with their mental health has it worse than the other person. Why do we say that? Why do we say that? Because yes, of course, it's it's difficult for that person. But there's no league table here. It's it's intensely difficult, and if if not more difficult for the person alongside that person because there's nothing they can realistically do about it. They can't take medic- medicine, they can't... Do, you know, y- you, are, you are sat captive to whatever works for the person that you're in love with. Um, so the reason I'm saying that is don't feel bad about feeling bad. Do you know what I mean? Don't feel that you haven't got the space to uh, to feel what you're feeling and, f- and, and you know, you're feeling of fearfulness and all this kind of stuff. It, it does sound to me like you've, you've reached a calmer place. And I think, you know, obviously embedded in what, wherever you're at now, I think will be the potential solutions for a sort of calmer future. Um, but, yeah, I mean, uh, you know...
0: And, uh, and I'd like to say as well, Mark and I recently a few weeks ago did a very long in-depth interview with Bipolar UK mm. but what mm. Mark and I really found from that chat was both of us we realized we'd never spoken to anyone else mm. with Bipolar 2 and the psychiatrist that we were talking to has Bipolar 2 and so then since then I've been looking up Bipolar UK what kind of support that they they have on offer and they have Um, group meetups for families and loved ones of people with bipolar 2 and also for people with bipolar 1 or 2 and also for people with bipolar so that might and they do zoom meetups so I would say if I had my time again I wish I had reached out and found out a bit more two years ago Mm. because we have been absolutely on our own with this we haven't we, we don't talk in depth to anyone else outside of ourselves. We don't talk to our family because people only want to hear for two minutes and then they move on. And mm. friends just, what can they say? Because they've got no experience of it. So you do keep it to yourself. And I find that very lonely sometimes. And that's why I really did want to um, read out this message because I think there'll be a lot of people... That we had our light bulb moment, and hopefully our mm. light bulb moment it helped somebody else have a light bulb. Because there's nothing like a problem shared with other no, exactly. people that understand. So, really, really, I would highly recommend check out Bipolar UK. They're a lovely, they're a small charity, aren't they? Mm. Mark? But they yeah, do a yeah. lot of really, a lot really, of work.
1: Really yeah. useful. Um, I just quickly, just as a final thing, the sentence where you say he doesn't seem to take any responsibility for the behaviour. I just want to just take the heat out of that because I get that. I understand that. He might not be taking responsibility for it, not because he doesn't want to or because he's trying to dodge something or escape something or get away with something. He might have just a genuine lack of, of awareness as to how upsetting it's been mm-hmm. or how upsetting he was... Um, that's what
0: the psychiatrist said didn't he he said I can be really mean yeah, m- yeah. to my wife and Absolutely. I actually don't even know I'm doing it yeah.
1: so yeah. that's really hard for the person left behind because of course you know that can breed resentment you want an apology, you want an acknowledgement you want recognition and what have you I mean, it's so it's so fraught, isn't it, with what is the nuanced details of your relationship and how are you in any given moment? Because whatever your relationship is like today, it won't be like that tomorrow. Mine and Nadia's isn't the same today as it was last week. So, you know, depending on where you're at with each other, we can't tell you the best way to judge a moment. You know how Agony Art columns often say, you know, sit him down and have a chat. Well, hang on a minute. You can't just sit him down at any old time. You've got to... The, the timing has to be right. So... All I would say is slightly try and take the heat out of feeling that unless he takes responsibility, we can't move forward. He might be ashamed. He might be embarrassed. Sometimes I don't want to flag up or return to behaviour of mine because I'm embarrassed about it and I feel bad about it. Yeah. Um, and that, in a weird way, by not talking about it and feeling bad about it, is is his way of trying to... Mm. make amends and push on again and, and that's
0: it. what it's important for you to voice your feelings and say i just need us to talk about this this isn't about me wanting yeah. to beat you up over it it's just yeah. i need us to talk about it before i can fully move exactly. on exactly exactly um and we send you so much love and so mm. much understanding one last thing um i remember when mark was first diagnosed and there's lots of people talking about the medication oh it can take 18 months for the medication to get the right balance and we were like yeah no that won't happen for us But actually it does take Mm. a long time Mm. for many, not for everyone, to get the right balance of the medication. So Mm. also be aware of that, that this medication is playing with the chemicals of his brain. And so like I have given Mark a lot of leeway on that because I think, well, actually, if you think about it, his poor brain is going, (laughs) is trying to recalibrate. So um, there, there, there is a bit of that as well to take into consideration. Um, but, yeah, we send you lots of love. And maybe
1: suggest him some kind of talking therapy as well, to yeah. say alongside his yeah. medication.
0: And if not, Bipolar UK, because I think everything yeah. there is free. Yeah. Um, so is it me? Yeah. Okie Um Right. <clears throat> How would you move on from a toxic, codependent relationship and... One of the reasons I've chosen this particular problem is I know that this will be relevant for so many people because we always get, whenever we discuss anything like Mm. this on Coffee Moaning, which is our morning show we do on YouTube every day, um, so many people like messaging and so Mm. So what are some tips on letting go? I am in love with this person. We dated on and off for two years long distance. We've met... I travelled to see her in Canada. It was special, but we argued a bit. Prior to that, it was a toxic cycle of push and pull. I thought being with each other in person would solidify our bond a bit better, but it didn't really. Although we seem to get on better in person, how would you deal with letting go? Would you fight for your first love? If you're done, are you truly done?
1: So is the dilemma here how to stay with the person? Should should they stay with the person?
0: It's oh. interesting, isn't it? My mum always used to say, I think if you have to ask if you're supposed to be with somebody, you're probably not supposed to be with somebody.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah.
0: And I, I, I agree and I disagree with that. Because I think, actually, often what people are asking is... Is there any way this can be fixed? Mm. And we always say on paper, our relationship, you wouldn't have thought it could work. We were both chaotic. We were both a mess. We've both fallen in and out of other relationships. There was a lot of jealousy on your part in the beginning. And there was a lot of messed up thinking on my part. We were a mess, right? And so, though, I don't mind sharing that. I'm also really wary of that, too, of, of sharing that, because I worry that people will look at us and say, oh, well, they were a complete mess. And and look, they've they've got a good relationship, which we have. But we are both people that are committed to working on it, are committed to being honest with each other, have been committed to facing some heavy shit with each other, are committed to... Fidelity and all of those other things. So, so there was the chaos, but also the shared values, and the absolute knowledge that we weren't playing games with each other's feelings. Um, we would often hurt each other within our struggle to try and make the relationship better. So, when you actually, if you were to analyse it in, in in a lab of relationships, though it was chaotic, the ground of it was we are going to make this work and we are going to try and listen to each other Mm. whereas if some of those components had been taken out so say we had all all the challenges that we had but one of us was like you know playing games and not being available and not letting the other one know whether they really wanted to be with them or kind of seeing somebody else or undermining that other person. You put any of that into that already unstable situation and it would have been Mm. horrific. And believe me, at times our relationship, both of us, have caused real pain to each other, but never with any toxicity, never with bringing anyone else into it, never with... You know, storming off and not coming back. There was a commitment. And that, to me, is a very important part because we can't totally answer this question because we have no idea of what the ins and outs are. But I would say to you, ask yourselves these questions because just rowing a bit always happens. We row loads. You know, you've seen each other, I think when you've had a long-distance relationship... You can build it up into a perfect ideal and then you could see each other and it could be like, oh, well, that's a bit annoying when then they do that. I and mean, there's plenty of things that are very annoying when mm. you will spend a lot of time with somebody. And so a committed couple will work their way through them. So ask yourself, is there commitment to work through the problems? Is there a genuine, do you like each other? You might say you love each other because love is an easy thing to bounce around. You might fancy each other. Do you like each other would you choose this person's company do you share the same values you know are you you know it's like little things we were talking about this on loose women the other day so and one of the loose women was saying that she was going out with this guy and she she really liked him and then they passed by a beggar on the street and he said something derogatory about this person and just expected that this friend of mine was going to think in exactly the same way that she did. And she said it was fundamental. I realised the values were so different. I could never, she was saying I could never have spoken about somebody that's right. like on their knees, you know, right. begging. So are your values aligned? Um, and I think all those questions are ones you can ponder over and then start to make a decision.
1: Okay, for those of you watching you'll probably notice I've been bathed in sunlight so I'm struggling actually to focus on anything um, How would you move on from a toxic codependent relationship? There's so much in that toxic codependent relationship Codependency is, is a profoundly difficult, complicated uh, concept um, You know, if you go into it in any detail, every relationship necessarily becomes to some degree codependent by the simple fact that you are in any way, dependent on each other. I mean, I think probably the ideal is that you're looking for um, interdependent or, you know, independently together type thing. But I think we'd all be absolutely lying if we didn't say that a relationship of any form has an aspect of codependency in it. It's about that staying at a healthy level. Now, and therein therein lies, you know, the trouble there is, you know, the devil is in the detail. What's, uh, you know, codependent to one person isn't going to be codependent to someone else. You also use the word toxic, and and unfortunately I think the word toxic is something that's used... I'm not suggesting this is what you're doing, by the way. But I think the word toxic is used a lot at the moment around things like toxic masculinity, toxic femininity. And again toxicity in a relationship is tricky because it's
0: so subjective isn't it's it? not only
1: subjective so one person's toxic is again mm. isn't believe it or not necessarily someone else's that's habitually what they've learned that's how they mm. are that you know through no sort of malicious intent or anything like that but it feels toxic to the other person on the other end i mean one of the things that screams out from this because you're also talking about how to move on and how to let go is doing a little bit of that thing that you do in 12-step programmes, which is analysing and exploring how this relationship sits alongside other relationships you've had. Are there parallels? Are there similarities? Not just in the type of person this is and other people you've been with, but also in the way that you conduct yourself in the relationship. Because you might find that actually that toxicity that you're talking about is isn't necessarily toxic, but it's a it's an you draw something out of people or you're drawn to people with a certain thing because perhaps you want to hurt yourself in some way. You know, there are so many complicated reasons why we end up in the kinds of relationships that we do. And me and Nadia have gone through so much of this. Why do we end up with, you know, enablers, helpers, you know, love avoidance? There's so many different things that you you will be bringing to the equation too. how do you move on? Well, without wishing to just say there's a 12 step program for everything, if you are truly codependent, if you see patterns in your relationships, and whilst this might be the most toxic so far, so you identify as that, but all of them have some element or aspects of what you're going through or what you went through with this person, it might be worth checking out a coder meeting, Codependence Anonymous, because they will walk you and talk you through 12 steps of recovery like alcohol. Which will encourage you to explore. It's addiction, isn't it? It's addiction, yeah. It, It will help you explore the patterns in your own indulgence of it, if you like. So, are there frequent acts of codependency that you engage in? Do you ask for certain things of that person? Do you only live through what that person does? Do you have your own? Do you maintain your own social circles? Do you only live through their social circles? Do you seek to control their social? You know, you know, there'll be all these things that they will walk you to, through and talk you through. So it might be, it might be really helpful. Maybe
0: Mark just give a couple of sentences on what a code meeting is, because people, because we we know so much about meetings, don't we? But for a lot of people, there's this fear that they're going to have to go in, stand up, tell the, the whole thing. story. No, I
1: mean, I went to. I mean, I, I'm I'm of the opinion that everyone has a codependent aspect to them, even if you completely avoid everyone. I mean, I sometimes, and this is terrible because I shouldn't, I hear about marriages and relationships where the two people may as well be work colleagues. They they literally just get on with their lives and there's there's no... there's no Enmeshment. Enmeshment for me that kind of is the, the interesting gooey stuff of a relationship. Now, of course, that enmeshment can... Mushroom to uh, you know um, unhealthy unhealthy levels. But if you were to walk into a CODA meeting, just one down the road from here, um, you, there'll be six to twelve to fourteen people sat in a room. You'll go in, they'll welcome you. You'll have a cup of tea. You'll sit on a sofa. Uh, there'll be a chair. Someone will say, "Right, welcome." You know, uh, they'll probably read through uh, some aspect of the twelve step program, which they do in AA. There might be someone else there alongside them who's going to share in their story. And I think this is the most important thing about 12-step meetings. Everyone thinks, religion, forget all that. You will go in and you will get to hear a case study, which is a huge privilege, because you will get to hear someone telling their story mm. and you might not even know stuff about your own relationships that you will hear and you'll go, mm. oh, my God.
0: A bit and like what we were saying previously with the bipolar yeah, thing. Yeah, exactly. Hearing exactly. other people's stories Yeah is just such a powerful tool and so something like that's very
1: and so something that's very normal for you in any relationship may suddenly become quite starkly you'll realize in quite a stark fashion like ah that's the problem that's what i'm doing and of course you'll hearing from someone who generally has been it's not sober, not sober because it's not alcohol but you know codependency is about an addiction to sort of You know, the
0: numbing your feelings—it's about numbing your feelings, but it's also the the unhealthy aspects of yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. It's it's filling the the holes in yourself through the conduit or lens of someone else. So um, and
0: and and they don't cost anything. You can put fifty p in for a cup of tea if you want. Go online
1: and you can find where your local meeting is.
0: And at the moment, with so much therapy being unavailable or unaffordable, these amazing charities and groups that give support to people Mm. are yeah Mm. are, are much needed. And um, I think you've got one for me on on oh ADHD. I've got it here. Um, uh, I don't have the name of this person. Your greatest ADHD hacks on on uh, ADHD med- medication. So this lady here is on the same uh, medication as I've talk- spoken about in the past, and she says that she's still managing to procrastinate, and I need motivation to organise my house life. <laughs> okay, I love ADHD people. <laughs> I
1: just so this is this a question? What are it. your greatest ADHD? What
0: inics? are my hacks on right. how? Because she's having the medication, but she's still like completely disorganised. Right. Now, I I think you have to go hand in hand, and I I will be moving towards not being on the medication um, eventually, or, or not taking it as often as I do. Um, and. Actually, I was talking to somebody about this yesterday. What I'm trying to do is recognise what I do when I have the medication, how I'm able to just focus in on things, how I'm able to stay with things. Now, the thing is with the medication is that it it can give you focus, but you could shift that focus to your phone, and you could spend all day on your phone, or you could spend all your day on something that you didn't necessarily want to get done that day so my advice is to write out a list of what you want to do achieve that day not an unachievable amount so don't say i want every single you know cupboard in my house sorted out don't do that give reasonable um oh i've got to go it's the doctor sorry the doctor Right then (laughs) you can't you can't miss your doctor's call can you so it's so hard to get a doctor's appointment so yeah i was just saying i i think that you also have to get a plan in place you can't just take this pill and then suddenly everything's going to be all right so i tend to get now okay i want to um say for instance i want to make that call that i was supposed to make i want to write this email i want to to get this cupboard cleaned out, whatever it is, and give myself a little list of what I'm going to do and then promise myself with each thing that I'm doing that I don't get pulled away. Because what i found is with the medication, it's not that you don't get distracted like you would without the medication. You get distracted, but you notice it. So say, for instance, and I'm using really like simple... Um, examples here say for instance i was i'm washing up pre-medication i'll wash up and then i'd think of something else and then i find myself over the cupboard and i'm doing the cupboard then i'm sorting out the cupboard and then i find myself over the sofa folding up a blanket and then i'm folding up a blanket and then before i know it i've been working for an hour and nothing has been achieved so now with the medication i'm standing washing up and i and i washing up washing up and then i i start to go off to do something else and i notice it Whereas before, I would not have noticed it. So then it's about you also using your own psychology and saying, do you see what you did there? Stay here until this is finished. And you can do that with anything you're doing, whether it's reading a book or drawing a picture or I don't know, sorting out your filing cabinet, whatever it is. I would also really, really recommend that you follow an Instagram account called ADDTUDE, add ADDTUDE instead of Attitude. And they have hundreds of podcasts on every kind of subject with ADHD. It's really, really fascinating. I wish I could find a way where you can search what you want on the podcast. I don't know how to do that. Um, But that really helped me a lot. Also, um, ADHD Works is another good Instagram account that gives tips on how to deal with all the different things that, that can come up with ADHD, like emotional deregulation and all that sort of stuff. So I read a lot about it and then it's not that i put everything into practice but it's in my mind and i forgive myself more so i no longer say "Oh, i'm an idiot i can't read a map i don't say that anymore to myself or to others i just say i really struggle with reading i've always struggled with reading maps what i do is i always ask somebody because i'm really good at communicating and it's about letting yourself off now do you want a house that's all perfect instagram perfect You might, but you're probably not going to get it. (laughs) But if you would like to just have a little bit less chaos, start with that ambition. You know, I've got a fridge at the moment. Every time I open it, I just (laughs) oh, my God, I can see everything. (laughs) And it's amazing. I open my cupboard, I know where my bowl's going to be if I want to whisk the cream. Now, for a lot of people, that might go, what the hell are you talking about? But for people that have ADHD, you know what I mean. To cut out the hours of trying to sift your way through everything before you can get anything done will reduce. I don't know what level you're on yet with your medication, but they very slowly increase it. And each time it's been increased, it's been better for me. I've done better, but you do have to be proactive with it. Don't just pop a pill and think that's it. That would be my advice.
1: Yeah, I, 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 think, I think that's a misnomer with a lot of kind of pill-taking or, you know, <laughs> medication is that you take the medication and, I mean, even me, after many years of taking all sorts of different things and being diagnosed with everything under the sun, <laughs> you know, and I, I now have more, I have as many uh, initials to define my mental state as I do after my name. <laughs> um, and and so, uh, you know, I, even even despite that history, I still sometimes say, oh, this is the magic, your silver bullet, I'm going to have this and... Boom! It's gonna—it's all gonna solve it. I think it's really interesting what you say about, um, you know, being mindful when you're on the drugs, taking the drugs, and allowing yourself to kind of almost interrogate what's going on whilst you're on the drugs mm. to sort of almost equip yourself for future, for future occasions where perhaps you aren't on the drugs. And and in that sense, what you were describing sounded almost to me like you could describe it as a fact-finding mission on on each time that you kind of the drugs are helping you kind of make sense of stuff. Um, I mean. It's curious, because I, I haven't thought about this yet. I suppose I'm, I'm still in the kind of foothills of my medication, which isn't the same as yours and NAD's, um, having some effect on me. It's complicated, because I'm on bipolar meds as well. But, you know, if I'm honest, I, I don't feel like there's any lessening. I was talking to a therapist yesterday. There, there, there's no fewer ADHD things going on in my head um,
0: but you do stick more with but I one do, thing but
1: I do try and I think what I'm trying to do a little bit more is be more, also be more boundaried in, in saying to the outside world around us because of course we all work in the same space we all work together and it's an open house, we live together is either removing myself or making my space focused or you know for example I mean it's a curious thing but in the evenings I'm into this series I've been saying to everyone they should watch it but I've just been taking myself off and going and watching it on my own I wouldn't have done that in the past sounds odd but I would have tried to have done it alongside everything mm. else. And actually, I'm going, no, that's time to go and do that late at night. And also in terms of things, jobs that I'm doing or, you know, stuff that I'm making or writing or working on, I try and kind of contain the time. I'd be lying if I said I'm any, I feel I'm anywhere near where I want to be. I don't feel I am. I, In many regards, I, I, I procrastinate. Or just having lots and lots of really creative, interesting thoughts. I don't know.
0: But it's interesting because I do notice a difference in you, but almost my, my, not my advice, I don't like to advise, but the experience I've just shared is what I would say to you as well. Because me watching you, it's easier, isn't it, for somebody Mm. else to see than what you... I mean, like, one day you have to tell me what you've noticed, the difference with my ADHD medication. And I really notice a difference. You are doing things and you're knocking them off off the list in a different way. But what I would say to you is exactly the same advice. Give yourself a list and cross it. But my problem out. is
1: my list get is no. so long.
0: No. You're not allowed to do that. You're no. allowed to put four things on the list, no, no, I
1: can't do four. and
0: then cross them out. Yeah. No, no, but you see the way that you're saying, "I can't." No,
1: because there's not enough the things to do. That's
0: <laughs> you not holding the hand of mm. the medication and working together towards mm. something. Mm. That's still you saying, "I want everything to be exactly the way I want it," no, no, and no, I want no. this. No, no, yeah. we all do it. Mm. I'm not just saying you. I'm saying mm. that's the thing. Mm. But actually, when you get to the point where you say, "I'm going to have to put some conscious," This medication and my consciousness of it together, holding hand by hand, let's see what we can do. Mm. And I think that's a really proactive way to think of it. And I think you're moving towards it, and I think that that is the last key for you.
1: I think maybe something that's really important there, and it also slightly is is relevant to the, the story about codependency, and it's something that I'm thinking about a lot again at the moment about alcoholism, is... It's easy to think that you should, these conditions or our experiences or our mental, mental states can just be solved mm. by either going to a meeting or sitting with a therapist or taking a drug or, whatever, or listening to podcasts or whatever. It requires you, it, one huge part of it, which I fall foul of, of failing to recognise is you've got to put the legwork in yourself. Mm-hmm. And I think what you said is really useful. Don't there. be a Nadia. passenger. Yeah, what you, it's really useful what you just said. Don't be a passive taker of your drugs, as I've just demonstrated. I want to, I want my cake and I want to eat oh, it. Oh, I
0: can't do that because yeah, I yeah. want to do loaf.
1: So, so I hear that. I've heard that literally in real time here and I've, I've, I've rationalised that. So, yeah,
0: okay. it's like I wanted to get every single bit of my house sorted out. Mm. Take a chill pill, Nadia. Mm. That is not you. What What can you achieve? What can this help you with? Mm. Be realistic and... yeah who knows what could happen there you go oh wow this do you know what i really love doing these podcasts because when we share with Mm. you we share back on ourselves and that's the best kind of thing it really helps us dig deeper into us at the same time and Mm. like learn other things about ourselves so Mm. yeah thank you for sharing things that are you know, very personal and and deep and meaningful to you with these two idiots.
1: Uh, And if you have any other issues that you want to share, obviously Nadia does a call-out each week on her Instagram, but the link will be below this in Mm. the description box. Do feel free to go there. You can be anonymous it's kind of nice if you could pop your age because it's, it's useful sometimes it really helps us if you're yeah. listening that's if you're on YouTube if you're listening to this obviously whatever platform you're listening on I didn't know you could subscribe if you can hit the stars if you like it leave comments if you want um,
0: and please subscribe on the YouTube yeah. channel as well because uh, yeah we put our heart and soul into, into everything that we do and that subscribe button that doesn't cost anything and that pushing it out to other people is really is, is really what you could do back for us we'd love that